some white supremacists was was threatening to kill him. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, they were threatening to kill Easy, um, and actually, when once uh, the FBI contacted us about fuck the police, and we started investigating it, we found out that Easy's name was on a list of a hit list from these white supremacists. Talk radio, home of the hip hop backstory. This your boy Fresh, along with my partner Crown Bumbleclap. Bumbleclap, where you at? Right here, homie. You know the deal. Yeah, and I got my other partner in crime, Danky. Danky, where you at? I'm right here. Hello, everybody. Yeah, and uh, today our guest is an unspoken figure during the Ruthless Records days. He was the manager for uh, NWA, Flesh and Bone, also singles like Lita Ford and Joe Fusion. He's here to tell us about his career and his days with Ruthless Records and other acts. So, Mr. Gary Ball, it's good to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, starting off, uh, what part of Cleveland, Ohio did you grow up in? I was born in the same hospital as the Bone Thugs and Harmonies guys, uh, Mount, Mount Sinai in, in the east side of Cleveland. Okay. Yeah, so what was it like coming up in there, and uh, what, what got you interested in music? Well, I was born a long time before those guys. So uh, when <laughs> I, was, I was born in 1952. I'm, I'm right. 64, 64 already. And um, as a young kid, I used to... Uh, three, four, five years old, uh, my parents used to take me to, to weddings and bar mitzvahs and parties, and I'd always look at the band, and I was always fascinated by the band and the microphones and the microphone cords and things like that. So for some reason, it, it always stuck with me, and uh, my parents always listened to music in the house. So we were always listening to music, and uh, when I was about six or seven, I was a pretty bad kid. I had my own gang, which was kind of funny now, but it was a bunch of little Jewish kids, so we really didn't uh, do too much, you know. We were kind of like the little rascals. And, uh, you know, but, but we, you know, we'd go, like, steal stuff from the store and marbles and army men and stuff. So my parents got me a guitar uh, when I got to be about seven years old just to kind of change my uh, focus. And once I got the guitar, I really, you know, kind of fell in love with it, and I started playing, and I, I played, you know, I've been playing ever since. I never really stopped. Um, right. So I lived in Cleveland until I was about uh, nine years old, and then I moved to Columbus. And uh, in Columbus, I went to a junior high school, or actually elementary school, but when I went to junior high, it was a half-black, half-white school. So it was really the first time I ever saw or really 
got to know any black kids. And me being a musician and an athlete, it's really I kind of got along with them all very well. So I always played sports, and uh, I was always in bands. And my high school band was like a 12-piece a soul band, four black singers out front, and I play rhythm guitar in the back, and uh, and I really loved Motown. You know, I loved James Brown, Temptations, Supremes, all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. I was always into yeah. I was always into the Beatles, the English stuff too, Beatles, Rolling Stones, and that. But uh, I loved my Motown, and uh, I also played in high school. I played high school football with Archie Griffin. Who was like oh, a two-time Heisman Trophy winner? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm very passionate about the Ohio State Buckeyes. For <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and around the time, well, when when you was a kid, you also had formed your own band called the Pretzels. <laughs> the Pretzels, yeah. Well, that was like elementary school. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. it's funny because one of the kids that were in the Pretzels in elementary school is has been. The, one of the major lawyers for the NFL for like the last 20 years. Oh, crazy. <laughs> Another one wow. went to jail. So, you know, you, you never know where people are going to end up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, when did you uh, decide to make the, the transition from, you know, being an artist in a band to start working in the business and managing? Well, when I was in Columbus, I did a lot of promoting, promoting concerts. Uh, I owned a sound system, so I was a sound man. And I uh, promoted concerts, a lot of jazz, uh, jazz and, and um, folk blues, things, Sonny Terry, Brownie McGee, Mose Allison, Sonny Stitt, Sonny Fortune, uh, a lot of stuff like that. And, uh, and wow. I always was performing still, and I uh, was promoting, and then I got an opportunity in, uh, you know, right out of high school to move to California and run a rehearsal studio called Big Ed Productions. Um, So that's really got me out to California, but really, actually, even when I was in high school, I spent the summer, actually wasn't a summer, but two or three weeks hanging out with my cousin, Jerry Heller. You know, Jerry, yeah, yeah. who was the manager of NWA, Jerry was a big agent at that time, 1969. Yeah. So I came out and hung out with him, and he was representing Marvin Gaye, the Grassroots, the Guess Who, Pink Floyd, Elton John, you know, all these big acts. And, you know, I came out and hung out with him and just blew my mind. You know, I, I knew that I yeah. really wanted to end up, end up in California. Right. For so, sure. yeah. Yeah, it's, so I got to come out in, in 1978. I moved out here. I lived in a rehearsal studio, slept on a couch. But uh, I got to work with, like, Chaka Khan and Rufus, uh, Three Ooh. Dog Night, Toto. And, uh, and then in 1980, I got an opportunity to go on tour, my first tour, with a group called Air Supply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it was a really they were a real popular pop act. They had eight top ten songs in a row. So I went on yeah. tour with them as a production manager. I never did it before, but the road manager was actually one of my high school buddies who uh, was the road manager, and he was never on the road before either. 
So he called me up and wanted to know if I'd want to go on the road with him. And uh, so that's kind of how my touring started. So for the next 10 years, I pretty much stayed on, on the road, you know, with different acts. Uh, you know, wow. you mentioned Lita Ford, a guy named uh, Jeff Lorber, who was a fusion act. Um, and uh, and then and, and Air Supply for three years. So, you know, some of these were pretty big tours. So I got to learn a lot about production, being on the road, you know, buses, you know, just how to how to work the, the hotels and the travel agents and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I started managing my first act as a personal manager called Hurricane. It was a, a heavy metal band in the mid-'80s. Right. And uh, I was living in L.A., managing this heavy metal band, and we did a couple of albums and did some touring around the country and went to Japan and went to Hawaii. And uh, and then my cousin Jerry, at, you know, during this time, was bringing me over cassettes of this new group he was working with called yeah. N.W.A. Right. You know, and, and this was like early, this was before the, you know, it was on the radio before they had their record deal, and he was playing me these cassettes of Straight Outta Compton, Gangster Gangster, Fuck the Police, you know what I mean? And I thought he was crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I said, man, you know, I said, what yeah. are you doing? That, you know, man, no one's going to, you're not going to be able to do any touring, you know, you're not going to have any radio play because you can't say that shit on the radio, you know? Right, and yeah. he said, you know, and he said, you watch. This is going to be the biggest music ever. This is going to take over rock and roll. And uh, right. and I saw the, saw the whole thing happen. Right. So um, when when did you officially start working at Ruthless? Well, it was around 1989. Uh, Jerry had a tour for NWA, their first uh, tour of the United States. And he, yeah. he wanted me to come out as a production manager well, actually, he first wanted me to meet with the group, Easy, Dre, Yellow Cube, you know, Ren, and yeah. they wanted to tell me what kind of stage they wanted, what kind of sound, what kind of lights, you know. So Easy sat down with a napkin and a and a marker, and uh, he says, "Look, I want uh, I want garbage cans with fire coming out. I want police uh-huh. tape." Police tape front of the building, front of the stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I want, I want those like dead bodies on the ground, you know, you know, chalk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want two big risers on each side of the stage for my go-go girls that I'm bringing on in the road with me, you know, because we had a couple of dancers. So, you know, so I, I, I made it all happen. You know, I knew how to do that stuff. So I kind of made the whole thing happen. And uh, and and I hired a, a sound company, hired a lighting company, and we went out on a very successful tour. Um, and it was just something else. I mean, if you, of course, you saw the movie. Uh, Jerry was, was really never in any of those shows. I was right. the only. Yeah, yeah. I was only a white dude on stage. You know, Jerry was in L.A. chilling. You know, and I'm you know, dealing with the madness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so um, when 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 fuck the police had hit, you know, a lot of people all they know is about is the uh, the letters that NWA had got from the FBI, but it was a lot deeper than that. You know, uh, 
because I remember Jerry Heller had, had said in his book that, you know, he was uh, getting some some threats from the, uh, the the secret police in Europe, and uh, they, they was threatening some white supremacists was, was threatening to kill him. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, they were threatening to kill Easy. Um, and actually, when, once uh, the FBI contacted us about fuck the police, and we started investigating it, we found out that Easy's name was on a list of a hit list from the white, these white supremacists. Um, oh. And we would have never known that because they wouldn't have told us that if we didn't find that out ourselves. Um, yeah. But, but you know what? You know, we fuck those guys. You know, we, uh, we, we were good at handling ourselves uh, uh, for a while. Yeah, then, yeah. You know? And, and then it got a little crazy when Suge came in. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So when when Suge had came into the picture, you know he he was coming around as a bodyguard. But did did, did Suge and Jerry get along at first in the initial beginning? Y- y- yes. At first, Suge was a very nice guy. You know, he yeah. you know he he was very friendly, always smiling. He was like a big teddy bear. You know, we had a lot of big badass bodyguards, and he came in with the DOC, you know, watching the DOC, and, uh, yeah, Suge was cool with everybody, you know, for a while, and then, you know, then he, you know, then it got, then it got real ugly, you know, then he got into Dre's ear and, you know, convinced Dre that, you know, you know, he should own half the company, and, you know, he needs to leave Ruthless, and Suge will take care of, you know, the the business and it takes you know so he started they started plotting against us and uh, you know and then it started getting pretty scary you know we'd uh, you know we come to the office and Suge and the five or six of his guys would be kind of waiting for us when we got there and this was before Jerry and I had body had our own bodyguards basically you know yeah yeah, yeah. you know the group had the group had their own guys but you know we didn't because we really didn't need need it but the, then it started getting scary, so we we brought in our own uh, our own cat to neutralize this situation, which right. he did. Which, right, which was Klein. Mike Klein, exactly. Wow. Yeah. 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 yeah Klein. Klein was one. You know, Klein's another badass motherfucker, man. And and so once yeah. Klein came in the picture, there was never any more threats. You know. Word. Word. So, wow. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so it was it was crazy times. Right. So, yeah. um, in the beginning, when uh, when when Jerry was was uh, shopping around trying to uh, get the deal for NWA, it was priority that it opened up the door for him. And then after that, it was uh, Atlantic and Epic and uh, MCA. Um, before hey, hey. Uh, priority gave them the chance, did did. The other label did Jerry go to the other labels first before Priority came along and then Jerry went, or... Jerry went everywhere first and nobody wanted it. Nobody wow. wanted such you know, Jerry being, you know, in the music business for a long time, he knew all the presidents of all the record labels. So he got yeah. to all the guys that mattered and nobody wanted to touch it. So he had this guy in his in his building, Brian Turner. Brian Turner yeah. had Priority Records, which 
you know, his big hit was the California Raisins, as you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and he did compilations and California Raisins. So, but he had distribution. Yeah. So, so Jerry kind of talked him into it, man. He said, look, man, you know, you know, what do you got to lose? You know, I'm telling you, these guys are selling a lot of records at the swap meets and in the back of their cars, and this is going to be the biggest music, you know. So, so Brian, Brian, uh, agreed to go along with it and gave the guys uh, some big money, you know, and everybody got an advance except for Ice Cube, who at that point he just wanted to be on his own. He, you know, he, you know, he complained about Jerry ripping him off and all that stuff. That never, ever, ever happened. You know, Easy never ripped Ice Cube off. He just uh, Easy uh, Cube wanted to be Easy, right? You know, yeah. you know, because but it was always Easy's company. See, Easy wanted Jerry. Easy wanted Jerry to be partners with him, and he, and Jerry said, "No, I'm, I don't want to be your partner." And if right. and if Jerry was more greedy, he he would have said yes, because there's a lot more money, you know, owning half of a record company. He said, no, man, you need to be Barry Gordy. It needs to be a yes. black-owned company. You own it. You run it. You make all the final decisions. I'm your manager. You give me 15%. You know, I'll advise yeah, yeah. you. You know, but, you know, you, at the end of the day, you do what you've got to do. So that's how it was always set up. And, and you know, Cube was jealous of Easy because Easy had the women and the money and, and the respect and, and Cube was like young. I mean, I mean, Cube was great. I'm, I'm not saying anything about his talent because he was a great writer, a great rapper, you know. But he was an actor back then. He wasn't hard like Easy was hard, like Ren was hard. You know, he was really yeah. soft. And these guys made fun of him all the time. Right. What? Yeah. 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 So, so when um. Uh... When Ice Cube had left and he came with the uh, with the No Vaseline song, now we we saw the the reaction in the movie. But what what was your action and how how did Jerry react to it around you when when y'all heard that song? You know, we knew it was coming because you know you know we have we had guys you know that knew their guys so. You know, once it started, you know, there was really nothing you could do about it. You know, Cube, you know, he got to be very anti-Semitic. You know, it wasn't just about, you know, calling Jerry a white Jew and shooting him in the temple. I mean, it's a very... But Cube, was, I didn't think, was really an anti-Semitic guy. They were just doing this for, uh, you know, basically to sell records and, and, and hurt each other. Yeah, yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah, because... Um... And Jerry Heller had said in his book, after uh, Ice Cube had left the group, they they first planned they initially had wanted to replace him with DOC, but DOC had an accident at the time. Yeah, yeah, he, DOC, you man, I mean, he was like to us, he was like Jay Z. He would have yeah. been the greatest. We thought he was the greatest rapper ever, <clears throat> as far yeah. as a solo rapper. I mean, he was so fucking amazing when we. When when he you know recorded him, and we did the videos, and and he toured with us, and and you know he was great, but you know he fell asleep at the wheel, flew out of his car after a video shoot, and yeah. unfortunately the only thing he hurts is his throat. 
The, the problem with the DOC, he never did rehab. He wouldn't go to the doctor. He wouldn't quit smoking weed. He wouldn't quit drinking. You know, he didn't do anything to help himself at that yeah. time. He was, he was very depressed because, you know, he saw his career kind of ending. And so, uh, you know, because I was one of the guys that, you know, would set up the doctor's appointments. And that was one of my yeah. jobs. You know, and he just wouldn't go. So it's a shame because we, we really liked the DOC. But, uh, yeah, but Cube, you know, Brian Turner helped Cube, you know, be a solo act. You know I mean? You know, for Brian, Brian just saw more, you know, uh, an, another act. He has NWA. Now he's got Ice Cube. You know, right. so yeah. he, he, him and Pat Charbonnet, which was Ice Cube's manager at the time, you know, they just, they all agreed that, you know, fuck Jerry, fuck uh, NWA. I'm going to be a solo act. I'll, it'll be my own company, my own money. So, you know, you know, and, and it all worked for him. You know, I mean, I, I can't fault him for what he did other than, you know, turning on Easy, you know, which Easy was our guy. Easy was always yeah. Jerry's guy and my guy before anybody else because, you know, he owned the company. And, and yeah. he was a great guy. He was a great guy, too. Hey, so did, did Ice Cube really bust up the office over his money like they depended well, in the pool? You know, that wasn't our office, you know, yeah. and supposedly he went to Brian Turner's office and, and did a little bit of that, but I, I don't know. I wasn't there. But the movie was movie was 75% real, 25% total bullshit lies. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when did the uh, the rumbling for uh, the, 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 the formation of Death Row start? When well, everything I, started I, going down between Dre and Easy. I tell you, we I, we had another act named Jimmy Z. Jimmy Z, saxophone player, harmonica player, white guy. And he yeah. played with Eddie James and, and, and Rod Stewart and Tom Petty. I mean, he was amazing. And I was managing him at the time. And so we had a record. At that time, we uh, had a deal with ATCO, Atlantic, Jerry Greenberg. Yeah. And, and Dre, <clears throat> sorry, Dre and... Uh, and and Jimmy Z were working on a, uh, on an album uh, called Musical Madness, which was kind of a hip hop, jazz, R and B, funk record. It was totally different than anything that's ever been done, wow. and it was really going good. But Jimmy used to call me and said, "Hey man, you know, Suge's been coming by a lot, and as soon as Suge comes by, they go out and talk in their van, you know, and you know, for a couple hours or whatever." So, so we kind of knew, you know, something was going on. And then one day, Suge goes to our lawyer's office, Ira Selsky, and threatens yeah. him, makes him give up <clears throat> the uh, contracts for Michelle, DOC, and and uh, and Dr. Dre, you know, which he yeah, did. Yeah. And so, you know, so that scene where it was showed. Uh, Dre calling easy, say we'll meet in the studio. You know yeah, yeah. that that really happened, and and easy went to the studio, and just like the movie, Shug and these other gangsters were waiting for him, but they didn't they didn't beat him up at all. Like in the movie it shows, they beat him up. They didn't touch him, 
but they had pipes and ball bats, and they said, you know, they said, I got Jerry Heller in a van outside, you know, in front of his house. I got someone in front of your mama's house. If you don't sign these papers right now, these releases, you know, yeah. we're going to kill it. We're going to kill everybody. So, because I remember the day after it happened, Easy came in the office and told everybody, and, you know, and then we had our PR person do a press release, and, you know, and then we had a whole lawsuit about, uh, you know, organized crime, RICO, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. All right, so um, after after Dre, Ice Cube, and DLC Love, what was the atmosphere like at Ruthless as far as creativity goes? Well, I tell you, man, we had BG Knockout, you know, who, you know, we had Gangster Dracer, you know, and these are two real bad motherfuckers. I mean, you know, these guys, you know, these, these, are, these are all, you know, Compton Crips, the real deal guys. And we had yeah. Bone Thugs and Harmony, who was selling millions of records. And we had a, a, an override on everything that Dre did at, at, at Death Row. You know, that was part of the settlement. You know, yeah. so anything that Dre sold, you know, Dre's day is Easy's payday. You know, that was the real deal. So, yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, no, so we were... You know, it wasn't over by any means, you know. And, uh, you know, we we knew it wasn't going to be easy, but we had other acts that we were developing. You know, we had Cocaine. uh, We had Stefan. You know, we had Menage Trois. You know, we we had other acts. And and we we, we were still rolling because we were doing really well. And then... uh, then you know, then Easy got sick, and uh, and that was it. Right, because um, you know when 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 Easy when Easy had went into the hospital, you know it was uh you know that it was a whole lot of other stuff was going on. What what was uh, going on there, ruthless at the time while while Easy was in the hospital? Well, here's what's was going on, uh, Tamika. Was was Easy's one of Easy's girlfriends? Let me just make it a a point. She was one of Easy's many girlfriends, you know. Yeah. But they they had, they had a house together, and she was working for Clarence Avant, you know, who was a very important, powerful guy in the black okay. music industry. And Mike Klein, at this point, kind of worked himself, you know, from head of security at Ruthless to head of business affairs at Ruthless. Now he was with Easy all the time. So, you know, my yeah. feelings are between Tamika and Klein, they started, you know, w- w- blaming and wedging, putting a wedge between Eric and Jerry. Okay? Word. Uh, Word. There, was, there, was a, there was a deal uh, for like a video game that Tamika brought in that she wanted easy to do, and Jerry, you know, just being his manager, said this is not a good deal. I don't recommend you do it, you know. And and that was one of the kind of problems right there. So they quit talking. Jerry and, and Easy quit talking. Uh, Jerry, so I was like the go-between uh, yeah. when when Jerry had contracts or checks. That needed to be signed or looked at, whatever. He'd give them to me. I would go meet with Easy and Mike Klein. Yeah. 
they would look it all over, decide what they wanted to do, give it back to me, I'd go back to Jerry. You know, and I kept selling easy as Eric, just call Jerry. Just talk to Jerry. And just talk this thing out. But, you know, he was pissed off at Jerry, you know, uh you know, he but he didn't but he didn't but he didn't fire Jerry. I mean at this point Jerry's still running the company. Right. Um, yeah. you know, as far as the day to day, you know, day to day. Right. So look, well was was it true that the, the nation of Islam had came in and called the meeting between uh, them? Now here's what happened with that. Um and it's very you know, the whole easiest death is all very suspicious. You know? Yes. I mean yes. that that's really the movie. It's like how did he really die? You know, what what really happened? Because it was like one of those meetings I was with him at, he was like healthy as can be. And I know he had like asthma and he smoked a lot of weed, but uh, he was healthy as can be, you know. And then we get a call at the office that <clears throat> he's at the Norwalk house and he can't breathe. So they call 911, <clears throat> excuse me, and take him to the hospital in Norwalk and... You know, and then he goes from Norwalk to Cedar Sinai, and then Tamika kind of takes over. And Tamika hires the Nation of Islam to guard him and not let anybody up to see him, including babies, mamas, and his kids. I mean, he had, when I worked with him, he had nine kids with seven women. Yeah. None of them had AIDS, none of them were HIV. Right. Same thing with Tamika. Had a baby with Tamika. She wasn't HIV. Baby wasn't HIV, you know. So very suspicious how that whole... And within one month of the day I saw him, he was dead. You know, so right. people usually do not die that quick, you right. know, with HIV, you know. You see right. him like, you know, kind of rotting away or whatever. But no, it was very suspicious. Right, because um, you know we we came across a couple of articles saying that uh, while he was in the hospital, you know, his deal about a, a metal briefcase with some unpublished songs had uh, came up missing because while he was in the hospital, he had them in the back of his trunk, and somebody was trying to set up a a, a ruthless records in Canada. Uh, do do oh, you know I, about that? No, I've never even heard that one before. Yeah, because we got an article right here that said, while hospitalized in Cedar Sinai Medical Center where Eric was in the advanced stages of AIDS and close to Delphi unexpectedly got married and changed his will. And uh, Blank claims that she and her Blank were made the executives of the will, being represented by Blank and Eric, promoted of director. Um, during the investigation into who were claims to the state, there were several master recordings of unpublished songs contained in suitcases in the trunk of Eric's lease Mercedes. These master's recordings are believed to be worth several millions of dollars each when attempted to determine the location of the recordings since they are considered part of their estate and under the protection of the court. He learned that the suitcases were missing from the call and that an individual only known only as Blank was currently residing in Canada was allegedly in possession of the suitcases and recordings. Yeah, and no, I've never even heard that, that story before. 
But I do know that that Tamika came and married him on his deathbed, and 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 signed the the you know the, the will to, to turn everything over to her on his deathbed. He was in a coma because he never signed the marriage certificate. I got a copy of that, and and right. and they put and they pulled the plug on him the next day. <clears throat> what? So, oh yeah, yeah. That's how that works. Wow, that's crazy. Fuck. Yeah, and yeah, and all the other babies, mamas and babies, you know, nobody was treated right. Every one of them were, you know, because Tamika hated them all. You know, she was so jealous, and he would have never married her in a million years. Yeah. Right, because uh, so when when Tamika was coming around was. Was uh, was she still coming around when Easy was around, or you know when he was up and well? But uh, did she come around towards the end when he got ill? No, no, no. She was around. She was around. I don't know for a year, two years, whatever before he died. And I don't know exactly how long, but yeah, they had a, they had a house together, you know. Um, and I moved them in. You know, I moved them in. I moved Easy into two or three houses. Same thing with. Dre and Michelle, you know, um, and they had a house together. And there was one trip that they were going to Hawaii that that she called me and told me to set up a a wedding in in in, in Maui because they were going to Hawaii and getting married. And I called you, Eric. I said, Eric, are you guys getting married? And he said, Hell no, you know. So <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, I, I knew a, a most a lot of the women that he he went with, and that you know. He was something else. I mean, easy. He'd have three or four ladies a day. So, you know, the whole HIV thing. I mean, he did. He was very active for a very long time with no protection. That that I know. Yeah. Because everybody loved right. Easy, and everybody wanted to be Easy. I'm telling you, he, he was a very cool guy. <laughs> yeah. So, and so. Um... And another thing about the uh, when everything was going on between Rufus and Death Row, uh, Priority, what was did did the relationship between Priority and Rufus start to sour? Because oh, it soured. It, 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 it soured as soon as Ice Cube left. I mean, that was the beginning of it souring, you know, because you know Brian Turner, you know, he 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 pushed very hard to. To get Ice Cube out of NWA and be a solo act, so right, it, right. It, 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 it it soured a long time, you know, before the death row thing ever happened. Wow, yeah, because uh, I remember when the the Chronic tape that came out, I remember seeing Interscope and Priority on it, you know, and then it was around the same time when uh, you know, they were supposed to have been under, you know, over Ruthless too. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, yeah. So when when did they officially sever ties? I'm sorry, say that again. When when did Rufus officially sever ties with with Priority? Oh, I I don't remember. I don't remember the the details on that. Okay. Hey, did you guys did you guys see the Michelet movie? Yeah. Well, what's your take on it? <laughs> I loved it. I loved Michelle. I mean, that that is so more so much more accurate. I mean, at least up until the death row part. I I didn't know, you know, what happened once she left Ruthless. But right. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, she was going to be such a big star for us. You know, she was yeah. doing so well, and Dre just, you know, crushed that whole career. Hey, so, yeah. so all that really was going on between Dre and Michelle. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I never, I never saw him hit her ever. But the guys used to talk about it all the time. So, and I knew it happened. And sometimes I'd see her a couple of days later, you know, bruised up, you know. So, but you know, it's not like I ever witnessed it myself. But yeah. you know, Dre, you know, Dre is tough with women. Wow. Yeah, so um, so how do you feel about when he, he did come out with a statement saying that he had apologized for all that he did and, you know, Michelle she still came out with the movie anyway? Well, I mean, I think that's good that he apologized, which is what he should have done, you know, and um, and and but I think he denies everything that Michelle said in the movie. So I right. think he's... I think he's apologizing for Dee Barnes, who, you know, was actually a lawsuit. And, you know, that yeah. was proven. That was proven. But, you know, the Michelet thing is he say, she say, you know, and, and yeah. he's a billionaire. You know, he's a billionaire. You know, so, uh, you know. He, right. But, you know, uh, it's really a shame because, man, I liked, I was really close to all of them at the beginning. You know, it was going so well. And it, it kind of yeah. it, it, it kind of formed from nothing, from nothing to, you know, to Alonzo, you know, having Jerry meet Easy, and they already were working on the NW thing, NWA, and Jerry was managing World Class Wrecking Crew, you know, and right. some of these things. So, you know, I mean, it, it happened so so cool, but you know, with Cube and Cube and Dre, they both really turned on Easy. And they wanted, you know, and nobody was getting ripped off. You know, with Cube, you got to realize you don't get all the money up front. You know, right. it's not, you know, you sell records, it takes a while to get paid for your publishing, for everything. But, you know, he had a $60,000 check, you know, w waiting for him as an advance, you know, which is way more than he has ever seen. But it's not like he sold his publishing or Jerry and Easy stole his publishing. No, none of that ever happened. So, you know, he just wanted to be easy. And same thing with Dre. You know, Dre just wanted to have his own record company. He wanted to be the boss. And, you know, Sugar gave him the opportunity to do that. Right. So, look, what, what was going through your mind when all this drama was going on at the time? Was you like, fuck this, I'm out of here? <laughs> no, man. I was, I was, I actually lasted longer than anybody else. I lasted longer than Jerry because Easy, you know, because Easy told Tamika to keep me on. You know, Easy, you know, actually it's funny because when Easy was sick in the hospital, he called me up to use my phone card so he could call other girls and Tamika wouldn't know about it. Right. <laughs> you know, because he could trust me, and I was all—I wasn't that political. You know, I just was a worker. I just did the work. I did my job. You know, I didn't make yeah. the big deals or any of that stuff. So I didn't have Q wasn't mad at me. Dre wasn't mad at me. You know, uh, Shug, nobody was really mad at me. I was just, you know, I was just a worker. Um, yeah. But but some of these right. friends and uh, <clears throat> like BG Knockout, guys that were like, like his best friends, 
told me, you know, years later <clears throat> that um, that he didn't want me to get fired. He wanted to, they, they wanted, he wanted to keep me on. But Tamika, you know, Jerry got a letter, and like in the movie, it showed Easy coming to Jerry's house and firing him. That never happened. Jerry would never be crying like a bitch, like you know, Paul Giamatti did. You know, that would never happen, <laughs> right? You know, and it's more like you saw in the Dre movie, where you know, Jerry stood up to Dre all the time. Jerry would have kicked Dre's ass if it would have come down <laughs> to it. You know, Dre, Dre, Dre never. Dre never fought any guys as long as we knew him. You know, he was wow. a hit girl. But uh, Jerry took no shit from Dre at all, and he really was trying to protect Michelle A. But, uh, so Tamika ended up uh, firing me about a month after Easy died. Oh, and then she, then, she, then she let Ruthless drove it into the ground. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... So did did you hear about some of the stuff she was doing at Ruthless after after you was let go? The only thing I knew was she was you know she was boning some of the guys in Bone Thugs and Harmony, you know. Oh, damn. And it, but, but you know those guys were so crazy too. I mean, I managed Flesh and Bone for twelve years, you know, yeah. and you know he was in prison eight of the twelve, and so yeah. But now I mean I love Flesh. You know he's the He's the most sane and sober out of all of them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so after uh, everything went down with Ruthless, you know, Dove Rose started going down not too long afterwards. So, you know, knowing Dre and Suge Knight the way that you did, was, was you surprised with the aftermath that was coming with Dove Rose? No, no, not at all, not at all. You know, I mean, you know, every people get power hungry. And and they they don't I mean they got they got a perfect thing going on, and they just for some reason want to fuck it up. But you know she she was not a nice guy, you know. I mean she was very violent, you know, especially in the studio, you know. And it wasn't you know I, that stuff I always knew was happening, and I knew Dre wasn't going to last long with him, and you know and, and she ended up you know screwing everybody, you know Dre, a Snoop. You know, Tupac, you know, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, right. for sure. But look, 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 look at Dre, look at Dre now. I mean, it's funny. I mean, Dre is a billionaire now. And, and, but with his movie, he's going to get a lot of flack. A lot of, like, I talked to people yeah. since the Michelle movie that say, I'll never look at Dre the same way I did. I'm never going to buy one of his records again, you know. So, yeah, you know, I mean, that's what I'm tough. Nah, yeah. And and Ice Cube, Ice Cube was always an actor. He was acting like a gangster when he was in NWA, but he wasn't. You know, right? And and you could you could see in these movies, you know. And I I mean I I, I like Ice Cube. You know, my my girlfriend ran into him at a restaurant uh, about a year ago, and uh, and she didn't know who he was, but the girl she was with said, hey, there's Ice Cube, you know, uh, you want to get your picture with him? And my girlfriend said, you know, she's Filipina. She says, I don't like rap. You know, she says, yeah, well, Gary used to work with him. So she goes up to him, and she says, hey, uh, it's my birthday. Uh, can I have your picture, a picture with you? And and, and she says, I'm, I'm Gary Ballin's girlfriend. And he said, oh, yeah, sure. 
And then the girl with her said, yeah, and also uh, she's friends with Jerry Heller. <laughs> and Ice Cube said, I don't like that guy. <laughs> and I, so, so that was kind of funny, but he was very nice to my girlfriend, and, and you know, I, 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 you know, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. And so, and another thing, um, you know, everybody know about the infamous comment she had made on the Jimmy Kimball show about, uh, you know, about the being injected with HIV and this easy heat thing and all that. And to me, after that, it seems like that's when the conspiracy theories had started. But um, from what you know, well, was those conspiracy theories already floating around before Suge Knight made that comment on the talk show, or did the conspiracy yes, start yes, after? Yes. No. Yes. Immediately. And and uh, what we heard at the office, and again, this was only hearsay, but what right. we heard at the office was Tamika's doctors from Inglewood came and took care of Easy before he went to uh, Cedar Sinai. Okay, this is, oh, we yeah. heard this. We heard this the week it happened, you know. And and you know Shari Henry. Was that Easy Easy's assistant? Yeah, yeah, Easy's assistant, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you know who who loved Jerry Eller, by the way. You yeah. Know? And, and yeah. you know, knew just just like like Little E loves Jerry Eller, just like you know uh, Tracy's daughter. Uh, um, what's her name? Uh, Eb loves Jerry. You know. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, we heard this right at the beginning, and and. And Shari kind of was uh, knew a lot about natural medicine and stuff, and we're trying to get more natural things to Eric, and Tamika just squashed it all. Damn. So uh, we 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 always felt it was Tamika, you know, that was behind the whole thing. But you know, who knows? You know, I mean, yeah. they never did it. They never did an autopsy. They never investigated it. You know, and uh, it's it's only history now. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, do you think uh, if anybody, if one of the kids had some type of face or some type of power, they could still get his body exhumed and they could have one then? A autopsy? I, I don't know. If, I don't know because his parents, uh, who were very nice people, uh, they never did, you know. She already had yeah. an agreement, you know, uh, um, Tamika had an agreement with the parents, you know, I don't exactly know what it was, but whatever it was, nothing got done. He got buried, and that was, uh, you know, that was it. Nobody wanted to investigate anymore. Damn. Uh, damn. Boy, I tell you, so, Bumacar, you got something you want to ask, man? Oh, yeah. Um, What was it like at the infamous Detroit show that they they always show, they show in the movie. I mean, you were there, okay. right? Okay, yeah, I was there. I was on stage. So yeah, here's what, what happened. Here, here's, right. here's what happened. So 20,000 people, Joe Lewis Arena, sold out Saturday night in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, our, hotel is, our hotel is walking distance from the venue. And uh, we were not allowed, it was the last show of the tour, and we were not yeah. allowed to fuck the police. That was part of the agreement. <laughs> with our promoter, uh, yeah. which was uh, Daryl Brooks and Karen Kirkendall, G Street Productions. Okay. And they were the promoter for the whole tour. And, it was, you know, if we did it, it would cost us like 50 grand, something like oh. that, something crazy. <laughs> and uh, 
and so I'm on stage, and and the, the group is it just got on, and you know they did a couple songs, and then the crowd is chanting, "Fuck the police, fuck the police, <laughs> fuck the police," you know, and and the police boycotted the show, so there were no oh, uniform police at the show because of you know the FBI thing and and all that, so. Yeah. There was security. There was security, a lot of security, but no, no uniform police. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. I'm on stage left. The, clock, the crowd's chanting, "Fuck the police! Fuck the police!" <laughs> and 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 Cube looks over to Dre. Dre's on the turntables, you know, and he looks at him. And, you know, whatever they said, he pulls out the record and starts fucking, you know. Fuck the police coming straight from the underground, you know. And yeah. and, and after, after about you know four more lines, you hear bop 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 bop, bop. and oh, it sounds oh yeah, and it sounds just like gunshots, and right. people start screaming, freaking out. Lights come on, and uh, and I'm looking out at the crowd. The guys are still on stage, and we had LLJ was was on tour with us, so their dressing room was also backstage. Yeah. So, so what happened was, uh, I see about fifteen guys all walking towards the stage, like like oh. in the movie, like in the <laughs> yeah, movie, yeah. but they're not they're not holding up their badges. Okay, nobody Word. was holding up any badges. They were reaching in their jackets, holding gats. You know, oh, shit. I mean, yeah, yeah. These guys had guns, and they're walking towards the, the stage—black ones, white ones. You know, all plainclothes yeah. cops. So I yell at the guys. I say, "Go out the back door, run to the hotel, Just go in your rooms, stay in your rooms." Yeah, yeah. Okay, and they do that, and I'm still on stage, and and these guys, these these plainclothes cops, walk from the front of the stage, on the stage, down the back of the stage, and they go right into LLJ, LL Cool J's dressing room. And right. they didn't know who they were after. They had no idea. So a huge fight breaks out backstage. I mean, oh, people are beating each other, and nobody knows who anybody is, you know. And it, it, was, <laughs> it was insane. It was like a cowboy movie, you know. And, uh, and the um, police... And, and Daryl Brooks, who was a big black man who was the main promoter for the tour, he yeah. um, he uh, he holds up his hand, say, "Hey, everybody, you know, relax, cool out." And and one of these cops put a gun up to his head. Oh and shit! He, he faints. Now, whether he had a stroke or not, I'm not sure, but he totally passes out. Okay, yeah. and and so. The, his partner was a little white lady named Carol Kirkendall. She said, Gary, you better get out of here, you know, before it's yeah. too late. So I, I run out the back door, run to the hotel. I meet up with Atrin Gregory, who is our road manager, and he was also Tupac's manager of uh, Digital Underground. Yeah, but yeah, he, yeah. He was, he was our, And he's a great guy, great guy. So he yeah. was, he, so we go back and... Uh, we, you know, I told everyone to go in their rooms. They're all in the lobby. Every one of them are in the lobby. Okay, <laughs> you know, because there's girls there, and you know they don't care. They think it's all funny what happened and all this, and and so I'm 
I'm with Atrin, and I, and I say, guys, you got to get in your rooms, man. We got to figure out what to do, because you know we had a bus, we had two buses. One of them would have had a, a bunch of guns in them. Okay? Oh shit! <laughs> we had a lot of we had a lot of cash on us. We had plane tickets to to, to fly out the next day. You know, so so me and Atrin are walking around the block trying to figure out what we're going to do. We call Jerry, and we tell yeah. Jerry what happened. You know, and you know, he says, you know, just try to keep it, you know, try to keep it together and uh, and get the guys out of town, whatever. So by the time we're halfway around the block, these two plainclothes cops walk up to us, you know, show us their badges. They say, hey, what's your name? You know, and so they had the rooming list with our names yeah. on it. So <laughs> oh, they take, shit. so they take us back to the hotel, back in the lobby, and now we're sitting on some steps in the lobby. And they take the group into some room. Okay? Yeah. And so and uh, so I'm thinking, wow, I'm gonna spend my Saturday night in Detroit, you know, county jail, you know. <laughs> where I'll, where yeah. I'll probably I'll probably get killed tonight, you know. I said, yeah. this could be the end of my life, you know. You know, <laughs> so so I'm freaking out, you know, being one of the few white people in the audience uh, yeah. at the time. And uh <laughs> And so, uh, but I tell you, man, the cops didn't do anything. Wow. They didn't do anything. They didn't arrest them. You know, what they said was they started talking basketball. They started talking yeah. lakers and, and pistons and things like that. I mean, I wasn't in the room. But yeah. whatever happened, you know, we ended up, I believe, forfeiting $50,000. Yeah. You know, and, and we might have had to pay some more, you know, above and beyond that. But no one got arrested. We sent the one bus full of the guns out of town, you know. Yeah. Uh, we got on the plane the next day, and uh, and everyone lived happily ever after. So like in the movie <laughs> where it shows the cops waiting for them and putting them in a paddy wagon, that that never happened. Word, word. <laughs> <laughs> so a little, the, so the, the other part of the movie where um, Jared was trying to get the deal for NWA, uh, what, what was that you who was in the crowd with the other executives? Did that really happen? Where the, the executives was like, you know, I'm not feeling this, but you give it the next Nirvana, let me know. Yeah, yeah, no, that that did happen. You mean at the beginning when he was trying to yeah. get him signed? Oh, right. yeah, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that did happen. You know, he he take, you know, guys around the shows and playing the music and try to explain to them what was going on. But, you know, they 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 didn't want to even get close to this. Yeah. So. yeah, Jerry was Jerry was a true visionary, and you know he got such a bad rap for so long about things he didn't do. And right. with this Michelet movie, you know, this is more like how Jerry was. You know, Jerry Jerry did protect the group at all times. He always tried to protect Easy. He never ripped off any of them ever. And and if yeah. he did, they would have sued him. You know, Cube could have sued Jerry. Drake, yeah. Drake could have sued Jerry if he ripped him off. But, you know, they didn't like the way the, the company was set up with Easy owning the company. Right. So, yeah. And, and, and you said uh, Jerry, Jerry was, they was getting ready to settle over the movie, right? Drake yeah, and you know, well, we don't know about settling or not, but they were getting ready to uh, deposition Dre and Q, and you know they—they, they, I'm sure they would not want to do depositions. So 
There probably would yeah. have been some kind of a settlement, and and it's it's not dead yet. It's not dead yet, as far as I know. You know, the estate, okay. the Heller's estate is still, you know, whether the lawyers are going to keep going. I haven't heard anything lately where they're not going to keep, you know, pursuing it. Right. 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 So, look, do you have do you have any other ruthless memories? Oh, man. Uh, 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 better yet, well, what was the most interesting time in your entire music career? Uh, the most interesting time in my musical career uh, was actually, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a guitar player and a singer, you know, right. and that's what I, I still play two, three nights a week. I, I never stopped, even through all my music business deal I always was playing you know always singing playing so uh, yeah um, two, two of my best moments were uh when I was on tour with Air Supply in Cleveland uh, Ohio which is my hometown uh, it was about a 5000 seater and uh I was uh, at the time their merchandising manager we were you know selling lots of merch and yeah. um so before the show I'm out in front you know, selling shirts and hats and whatever, tour books. And the opening act never showed up. Uh, he got snowed in in Boston, uh-huh. a guy named Tom, Tom Chapin. So the promoter, a guy named Jules Belkin, knew me from Columbus. And the band, <laughs> didn't, even know, the band didn't even know I played, you know. Right. So, so he asked me, he said, Gary, why don't you just open the show for Air Supply? I know you can do it. So, you know, so with about a five-minute, ten-minute, uh, you know, notice, I go from the T-shirt booth to opening for 5,000 people. You know, I grab one of the guitars of the guys in the band. I mean, they, they, they were kind of uh, dumbfounded. I mean, they didn't expect this, but I, I went over really well. Wow. Uh, you Ooh. know, not doing original stuff, but I would do stuff that these people like, a Bye-Bye Miss American Pie, Brown Eyed Girl, Stairway to Heaven, My Girl. Yeah, you know, yeah. People, people knew, people could sing along with, and that was kind of that's kind of what my forte is. So that happened. So because of that, I got to open ten more shows for Air Supply. That's so cool. That that was cool. Another cool thing was at Jerry Heller's funeral, as they were yeah. as they were putting him in the ground. I I got my guitar. They you know they asked me to play for that too, and I I do a pretty good version of of Gangster Gangster Boys in the Hood straight out of Compton. So with the guitar, I was doing a little uh, a medley of Jerry's favorite song, "You Are My Sunshine, My Only Sunshine," and then I go yeah. right into you know cruising down the street in my six four, jacking the pictures, <laughs> clapping out, you know, and, yeah. and, and the people the people there loved it, you know. I mean, yeah. the, the roof. They, so the, those are two of my uh, my better points. But look, at I only got about ten more minutes, so I, I want to hit on two more things that are not related to ruthless, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Okay, number one is I'm work. I've been working on a documentary on the Negro baseball leagues for ten years. It's called yes, the sir. Untold Truth. The Untold Truth dot com. So yes, if you look sir. it up, we're, we're trying to finish the financing on it, but we got Lou Gossett Jr. involved as a uh, as a narrator, 
and we've got uh, a contract with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City for all their artifacts, and we've already shot 25 hours of high def on it. So it's never been done before. You yeah. know, there, there's been documentaries on Jackie Robinson, and there's been documentaries on baseball, but nobody's done it on the Negro Leagues and all the teams yeah. and the you know, Cool Papa Bell and Josh Gibson and yeah, Jackson Josh Page. Gibson. You yeah. know, people never heard of, but, you know, if it wasn't for these guys, you know, there might have not been a Barack Obama or a Tiger Woods or a, you know, I mean, these guys laid the groundwork for it. And and their communities were thriving when that was happening. So there's yep. a lot of lot of things that started in the Negro Leagues that people don't know about. So that's why we call it the untold truth. That's so, cool. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So if any of your rich listeners out there, and I know you got a lot of rich listeners, want to get involved in, in helping us finish it, uh, it's www.theuntoldtruth.com. Word, word. And then there's one other thing. I'll tell you, there's something that got me out of the music business, and that was a thing called Kangen Water, K-A-N-G-E-N Water. Kangen Water, uh, it's really the healthiest water in the world. And about four years ago, my mom had stage four pancreatic cancer. And a nurse friend of mine told me Kangen water was the best thing, best thing for my mom's cancer. So I researched it, and I got some, and, and I, I found out it's a 43-year-old Japanese company. It's a water ionizer that you put on your faucet at home and changes your water molecules to alkaline, antioxidant, microclustered water. Wow. So, okay. um, yeah, so it's really uh, cutting-edge technology, and you can use it's medical-grade water. They've been using it in hospitals in Japan for over 40 years. So, yes, sir. you know, people don't know how bad Dasani, Aquafina, you know, all these bottled waters are really so acidic, it's like you're drinking soda. And you think, yeah, you know, yeah. it, what, and they don't hydrate you either. The molecules are too big, and it's got plastic in it. So if anybody at all is interested in, in checking out this water, uh, my, my website yeah. for that is alkalinewatersogood.com. All right, yeah, definitely. I'm interested in that. And, and then all of that is on my main website, which is garyballon.com. So you can hear an interview of me and Easy on Howard Stern Show. You can... Yeah. Uh, you know, see some blogs about NWA and Jerry and stuff. So www.garyballon.com. That's what's up. And also I did a, I just did a documentary with National Geographic, Facing Suge Knight. Yeah, I saw that. That was good. We saw that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's on my website, too. So, you know, that's that's it. That's me. <laughs> Thank you very much. And there you have it. Hip Hop is another backstory from another hip hop music legend. And you heard it here on the Cedar Talk Radio. If we don't talk about it because it didn't happen yet. Peace and may old school hip hop live forever.